you get down on your kid's level and look them in the eyes and your phone's in the other room, you start to feel something. You kind of can't help it. If you can make them the expert and get really interested in something that they care about, it's not hard to stay interested because what you become interested in is them. Okay, so okay. let's so, yeah. record the intro now. Just so what did, Milkless, because we, I think we start with the name. Two dads, we love our kids. But then we also need them to know that we're like pretty cool and it's not like a wimpy podcast. So, hey, <laughs> hey, hey, Milkless. Hey, welcome. Hey, welcome, hey, Milkless. Hey, Milkless. Call the audience, Milkless. What's up, Milkless? <laughs> Matt and Max coming at you. What if that's it? <laughs> that's our first take. So on this episode, the first episode of the podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, why we decided to do this. We're going to investigate some of the kind of unsavory archetypes that you see in uh, popular culture and media of fathers and why they seem to be so prevalent and why we seem to be so short on good examples of fathers. We're going to talk about what those archetypes mean about us, what resonates, what doesn't, whether it's the selfish beer drinking dad or the totally emasculated dad who has basically given up every shred of dignity he has to be a good parent. And finally, we're going to try to give you a couple of tips if you find yourself in either of those situations or somewhere in between, ways to kind of correct and point yourself back towards being the kind of legendary father you want to be. So check it out. All right, Matt, episode one, here we are, we're doing it. Dad's investigating legendary fatherhood. Why? Why are we doing this? You kind of came to me with the idea, such a great idea, that like, why is the male archetype, a, a very common one, this like doofy sort of dad, like unengaged, disinterested father? That's not what I see among a lot of our friends. Yeah, I, yeah, I kept finding myself talking to these guys who, who really cared about being dads and really cared about being good dads. And I kept having these conversations that I felt like were the first conversation like it that the person I was talking to had ever had. That like dads were not spending enough time talking to each other yes. about their experiences as fathers. Mm -hmm. And I think the role of fathers has changed tremendously, uh, especially recently. I think COVID changed fatherhood a lot. And I, I felt like when I looked around, we just don't see enough great examples of a father. You know, it, it's like, why are we making dads so uncool? When what we really want and need is dads who are really invested in, in helping raise their children. So in this archetype, who, who do you see? Who do you see out there that is this sort of buffoon sort of type of archetype? Who, who are we even talking about here, Matt? You got Homer Simpson. You got uh, Peter Griffin, family guy. Al Bundy, married with children. This classic doofy father. This is kind of a deep cut of an Inspector Gadget. Like it was always his daughter <laughs> and his dog that really solved shit. Oh, God. And the only question I'm asking when I'm watching this, any one of these things is like, how has she not divorced him yet? Yeah. She's smarter, better looking. She carries more of the weight. He's basically another child to her. How is she attracted to this guy? So I was curious, like why I, I did a little research into where the archetype came from, but I'm curious why you think it resonated enough to stick. Yeah. I mean, I think that it, what happens is it's very easy. I fall into that archetype, the doofy dad. When someone's like, oh, uh, can the kids come over for a play date on Friday? I'm like, oh, <laughs> I don't do the schedule. <laughs> that's, that's my wife. <laughs> I don't even know what's going on. You know, and it's like, well, we, ha we have a shared Google calendar. I think that sometimes as dads, we lean into the doofy dad because it gets us off the hook. Yeah. It's like, well, I don't know how to a calendar? 
I've never seen one before. I don't know how. <laughs> I'm just a caveman. I'm just a simple caveman. Uh, the research I did into the origins of this archetype of the doofy dad, the doofy dad, I think, was a response of this archetype of the 50s and 60s, of the like pipe-smoking father who, who put on his suit and went to work every day and read the paper in the morning um, and was, was absentee, but was ultimately kind of the, the center of reason and even, and even moral rectitude for the family. It was like a very patriarchal archetype. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, and there wasn't a lot asked of that dad in terms of the, ch the nuts and bolts of the child rearing. And despite the, the great strides that we've made toward expecting more from fathers and, and expecting parenting to be more of a co-parenting relationship, it is still true that, that mothers are more often than not the primary parent or whatever you want to call it. They, they spend the most time. They also do that kind of hard to describe thing of like, they know how long it's been since the last time you went to the pediatrician, whatever it is. And I do wonder a little bit if as dads started to become more involved, they were kind of entering a space that had traditionally really been held by mothers and in a large extent was still held by mothers, just this domestic space. And if the guy didn't seem like this useless goofball. It's kind of hard when there aren't maybe a ton of father role models out there that are really good dads. It's kind of maybe seen as a sign of weakness scene of maybe like a little feminine. Mm -hmm. If you mm -hmm. want to, Hey, let's sit down and like chat about our kids, mm -hmm. man, that's tough, man. Yeah. You know, Oh, they did X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Let's, let's unpack that. How can we help each other kind of like work through that? It's kind of wimpy. You don't want to be like, Hey, listen, let's, let's crank some beers, man. Let's like, Hey, how's your work? Ah, oh, work week sucks, man. You know, blah, blah, blah. Oh yeah. Let's chat about our kids. Yeah. Have you ever tried to interrupt somebody who's talking about cryptocurrency and ask them questions about their kids? <laughs> Yeah. It's a real conversation stopper. Um, but here's, here's an interesting study. So, and I'd love to get your take on it because I don't think you've, we've talked about this. So there was a recent study um, out of Southern Illinois University in the last like couple years. So they took all these twins, 600 adult twin pairs in the, in the US and they established like a self-esteem quotient. And these are with identical twins. So it's not you know anything genetic. They have the exact same genes. The ones who had low self-esteem compared to their, their identical twin had a massive correlation with thinking that their father didn't like them or like wasn't nice to them. Hmm. Um, what's weird, the mother didn't matter. Hmm. What does that even mean? It's very hard to unpack. I've thought about it a bunch. I don't quite get it, but I do know that a father's affection is super important. Just in terms of self-esteem. It's interesting. I wonder if there's a way in which like, be because of some of the early on and, you know, in the baby phase, just some biological truths. And then, um, you know, the way that a lot of families are set up that even if the mother is aloof, they're still demonstrating love and all of these things they do for this kid out of necessity. Whereas the, if the dad is checked out and working and feels that the work he does is a sufficient contribution of the family. He didn't have to do that much more. There's kind of no way in which he's showing his kids that he loves them. Sometimes I mess up, you know, you go on a business trip, you're all stressed out. You're doing all this stuff. You don't feel like you're being that great of a dad. Sometimes we had chat about this yesterday. All it is, is like 20 seconds getting down to their level, eye contact and being there for them and just being like, what's up, man? How are you? And let them be the first one to walk away from the conversation or the hug. You know, just that, that's all it, sometimes it's just a little bit, then your, your child can file that away. Okay. Dad cares about me. Dad's interested in what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. 
I see my daughter watching my face a lot for how I'm responding to things she's doing, which feels like a tremendous amount of pressure. Oh yeah. Cause sometimes my face betrays me. Oh no, they can, uh, <laughs> they can read it. They can, dad, the what best, my favorite one is, uh, dad, what's wrong? <laughs> yeah. Our, our five-year-old has said that to me like two or three times over the last couple of years. Dad, what's going on? Mm-hmm. What's wrong? I'm like, Oh, uh, nothing's wrong. Yeah. He's like, well, why are you making that face? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh man, no, they're super perceptive. It's crazy. So I, I think on the one end, you have this archetype of the father who is like, is a fundamentally selfish character. The Homer Simpson, Peter Griffin version of that is, is a lazy, selfish doofus. The Don Draper is a successful, selfish player. Uh, and then you have Liam Neeson, who's like, you know, emotionally unavailable, but has a special set of skills. Yeah. He's lucky his daughter got kidnapped because if she hadn't, that'd just be a movie about a shitty dad. Yeah. But I think on the other end of that, that you have this archetype and, and I'm going to call it the dad from modern family, uh, who's very funny and a very likable dude, but that actor, you know who I'm talking about? Ty Burrell from modern family. hundred percent. He's the actor said, I can't tell you how many people have come up to me and, and said, God, you remind me so much of my dad. And Ty Burrell is like, and I always have to stop myself from saying like, Oh, your dad's kind of an idiot. Yeah. I'm kind of soft. And I think that that, that that is an, a newer archetype of the dad who is getting it right in terms of his involvement, his attachment to kids. He doesn't want to be a scary dad to his kids or an authoritarian dad to his kids. But it's gone so far the other direction, he's kind of lost himself a little bit. I think it's that it's it's a response to Don Draper, 1950s, is Peter Griffin and Homer Simpson. And a response to the doofy dad is, watch, watch how much I love my kids. And you lose sight of everything. And then a lot of times these, these fathers have no discipline. I'm not saying like corporal punishment, but just general structure, structure yeah. and rules yeah. in the house. And there's, they get walked all over. They get walked all over. And what ends up happening is they, the, the kids end up kind of not really respecting them. Because it's like, who are you to them? You are nothing but a supporting actor. You are not an actual human being. Yeah. You only live to serve. Which, which by the way, gives your kid a fucked up view of the world. Because the world is not going to cater to your every whim. If you're a dick, the world's going to clap back. Yeah. But the thing is, it, 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 what's so hard is it comes from a good place. You know, it comes from a good place of, yeah, I love my child. Watch how good of a dad I'm going to be. And that's, what's so hard about this other end of the scale. Do you, do you think at all? Cause I, I want to push on this a little bit because I think we disagree about it a little bit. There's another show and I hate to hate on the show cause I do like this show, but in Dino Dana, I don't know if, if you've watched a lot of Dino Dana. No. It's about a little girl that uh, is into dinosaurs. It's pretty dope. Uh, the mom and dad are both great. They have a great relationship and they're both very present for their kids. But the dad's like afraid of bugs. And he's just constantly being, being put in this situation where he's almost presented as like the way you think of a traditional damsel in distress. If his role mm. were written for a woman, you'd be like, this show's a little fucking sexist, frankly. <laughs> um, yeah. And I was Uh. thinking about where that came from. And I wonder if you had this experience at all. I remember early on after my first kid was born, you know, you're figuring out everything about life is suddenly different. Yeah. Um, And I I remember feeling like some of these impulses that I still had, whether it was just leave the house and go on an adventure 
or whether it was, oh my gosh, when I feel anger, I can feel physical violence in my body. That's just like my ape self. I sometimes felt like some of the parts of me that were more primitively, traditionally masculine didn't really have a place. Yep. And, and they almost scared me. Yeah. I think maybe it's that, but I think that it's, I think it more comes from a place of love and not knowing how to, how to express that love as a man. You know, what you kind of hear is, you know, in, in modern American culture is like, I'm going to give that child everything. Then you try to do that. Mm -hmm. Look how good a dad I am. And you wake up, you're like, I'm tired. My kid doesn't respect me. I have no control in this household. I'm now just a slave to my kids. They're acting out. You start to resent your kids. What happened to my life? And it's like, to be a good dad, you need to be a good human being. You need to take care of yourself. You need to love yourself. You need to have fun. And I explain that all the time to my kids where I'm, where I'm basically telling them, look, I'm just a person like you. I'm trying to sometimes teach empathy in a way. So I'm like, close your eyes. Who do you see? You see you, right? Like, it's just you, right? In your whole little world. That's just you. Everything is you. Well, when I do that, it's me too. It's only me. Mm -hmm. I'm just a guy. What you're talking about is giving your kid the sense that other people are also human beings, yourself included, who have as fully real and rich an internal life as they do. And to see themselves as a human amongst other humans, which I think it's a very hard thing to hold on to for adults because you experience yourself all the time and from the inside and you experience yourself very differently than you experience anyone else. So I think planting those early seeds that like other people are people, but I think you cannot do that as a parent unless you have a you have a strong sense of self and you have established that you have a life that that is not just of your kids and that your kids see that life. This episode is brought to you by Violet Archer and the Case of the Purple Martin. It's a chapter book with illustrations on every page. You can read it to them if they're five, six-year-olds, but then as soon as they can read up till 12, 13, it's an insanely good book with plot twists like worthy of an adult's attention. I love this thing. I'm so proud of Matt and Milkless of putting this thing out. So if you want to support Milkless and get an awesome book for your kids, it'd mean a whole lot to us if you bought it. Check the podcast description for the link to Amazon and buy it today. And if you already have it, you can pop back into Amazon and give us an honest review. Thanks. So this brings me to what are some things people can take away? So if we start with the kind of over-indexed father who's doing anything his kids want, how can he, you know, move more towards yeah. uh, maybe what we're talking about. And then we'll do it again, like for the doofy dad. Yeah. If the doofy dad realizes, man, I want to change. I want to, you know, what are some things that, that they can do? What I have found is that the things that make me feel very strongly in any direction are pretty primitive. Um, if you think about the things that make you deeply happy, it's like sharing food with other people. It's being outside. It's using your body to do something that, that, that feels productive. Yeah. So, all the firewood that we burn in our fireplace is wood. We live on a few acres um, and it's all wood that I cut and then store for two years and then bring in. And when I feel over-indexed as a dad, when I feel like, oh gosh, I'm losing track of the parts of myself that feel like that, that archetypal father that I want to shoot for who kind of knows how to take care of shit for his family that involves like real manual, whatever, Mm -hmm. because more and more our lives don't require our bodies that much. Um, 
So I'll go out and, and cut wood. And then the bonus round for that is, is find a way, that thing that you feel good at, that makes you feel capable, that makes you feel like a capable father, find a way to bring that skill and that feeling around your kid. I think having your child see you do something mm. that isn't shuttling them around or taking care of them and seeing you find joy out of that mm -hmm. helps them understand that you are your own human being and that you have joys and loves and they can actually mm -hmm. emulate that and see that as a good role model. So if you love model airplanes or playing indoor soccer or whatever it is, mm -hmm. have your kids see you in that natural environment where you're not just a doting father. But sometimes for myself, I sometimes trend towards a doting father. I love my kids so much and I'll do all this stuff. If I ever feel like we're losing control of the discipline in the house, um, it's just kind of a hard reset sometimes is showing that there is some end of the line. For example, if a, someone is really acting out of turn, you would give a clear warning. Okay, this is okay, we can't do that again. If you're going to do that again, then X, Y, Z is going to happen. And it's, it's hard. I try not to pick something big because once you pick something, you have to do it. If you say, mm -hmm. yeah, we're going to take your lovey that you sleep with every night and take it for a week. It's like, oh shit, did I just say that? Mm -hmm. Did I just say that? We're going to take the lovey for a week? That is cruel and unusual punishment. Never make threats you're not willing to follow through on. No, you have <laughs> like, to go through. I'll see parents at the playground while looking at the phone. They're like, if you do that again, we're going to leave. But they're not even watching. It's like, no, you're not. And now your kid knows to never take you seriously. We're on the same page that if you say it, you have to do it. So like having a good debrief situation with your partner is good. Cause then you can talk about, man, I totally messed up. I said too, too much. I said, we're going to take the lovey and put it above the fridge overnight. And it's just, it was so stupid because mm -hmm. he needs that to sleep. Like, ah, I messed up. That's on me. You know, like having that feedback loop there, but having some sort of hard reset We'll, we'll carry you forward for a few weeks, a month, because then it's, you know, if they're hitting or fighting or something that is inappropriate, you give them a warning. Okay, remember the coloring book mm -hmm. above the fridge? Yeah. And you try to just not yell, try to not get yeah. mad. And then I think that's a win. And then if you yell or get mad, just debrief and you, and you clear it out. So then how would you say if you are the, you know, doofy father or checked out father, you know, Homer Simpson, you, you know, you're not super engaged, you know, what are some things that, that they can do? I do think, particularly for a dad who's not as, as involved or active a parent, there can be this thing of maternal gatekeeping where the mom's like, dad doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. He doesn't know how to work in a calendar. Mm -hmm. He's not going to remember to pack lunch. Yeah. He's et cetera, et cetera. He doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. So I got to, if, if dad's interacting with the kid, I got to mediate this somehow just to mm -hmm. make sure it's not an absolute nightmare. Right. And I think for dads, that's like, it's not a good feeling. It's like, oh, I'm trying to do this thing, but like the boss is here and she's better at this than I am. And oh, look who's showed up. Look who's going to try to talk with his own child. You don't know how to do this. He doesn't do karate anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, and even if they're not, even if your, your wife could be at no fault, you just feel her back there and you're like, I'm getting it. I'm feeding her a cheese. Should I be feeding her? I don't know. I've, my wife's looking at me. Is now cheese time? Is this time for a cheese or has she already had a cheese? Well, it's embarrassing. It's like, it's like when someone who's overweight and wants to get healthy, that whole uh, meme about overweight people being afraid of how they're perceived at the gym. Yeah. And imagine if you're, if you were, were heavier than you wanted to be and your wife was an Olympic gymnast and she was like, let's go to the gym. And you'd be like, I think I'm going to, well, I just walk yeah. by myself. So the, 
one of the things that I started doing early on with my daughter that has been, has been just irreplaceable is I just took her and we fucking left and we would sometimes leave for the day and have an adventure. These were often deeply unplanned. We just go places and figure it out. And when we got hungry, we'd figure out how to get food. It put us in a very collaborative space. I'm also like better as a kind of spontaneous improviser than as like a real yep. concrete planner. I've, like I said, I've never seen a calendar before. Yep. Um, and then as she got older, and we did this with you guys one time, we just packed up and we came and saw you. And so we had to fly on a plane. We had to, you know, figure out the car and the like. Um, and we've taken a number of trips like that. Gives my wife a break. But it also ensures that there's no you and your wife looking at each other like, who's in charge here? Or like, oh, you know, oh, you kind of know more about this than I do. It's look, it's me and you, kid. I'm the only protection you got out here. <laughs> I got to figure this all out. I'm on. And right now, yeah. I, I am your primary parent. Every time I do it, I'm like, man, I got to do more one-on-ones because we have three kids. You know, hanging out with three kids <laughs> is a lot like you know, plate spinning, you're just kind of managing, ah, I got all three, keeping them safe, keeping them not hurt, you know, keeping them happy, playing games. Let's play a game that all three can play, that a three-year-old can play. Sorry, seven-year-old, we're going to play a baby game all together, you know, whereas you're so right, those one-on-ones, after we do it, I always look to my my wife and I'm just like, man, those one-on-ones are just so gold. And they just fill up the kid's gas tank. They really felt like they got, they got you. You know? And I think that, that one of the things I started to believe this when I got married and I believed it even more when, when I had kids is that, that the relationship, we misunderstand the relationship between love and obligation. I think obligation is seen as a negative thing, but the truth is, and I didn't know this until I had kids. I kind of felt bad for my parents when I found this out, but you, you love your kids more than they love you. I'm convinced of this. <laughs> My daughter will sometimes say like, daddy, I love you more than you love me. And I'll be like, baby, <laughs> you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and, and what that means, if it is true, is that you love the person that you do the most for more than the person who does the most for you. And I think that love follows obligation in a pretty serious way. I remember when I got married and I remember when the ring went on my finger feeling like, Oh, I am obligated to this and I am in this. And, you know, we, I waited a while to propose I was ready to be married. So I, my, I did not have a panic response to that. The response I had was to like invest emotionally even more because the obligation was there. And what I find is that if, if my daughter and I go on a weekend trip and it's just us and I am so obligated to, to ensure her safety and her good time and her fun and that she eats and sleeps and all that, um, there's a love that follows from, from taking care of that thing and being obligated to that thing that's really, really profound. That is such an amazing thing. And so for myself, what I would say is, you know, using that study, make sure that every day for at least 10 seconds, you make your kid feel and understand that you like them and understand them. And it can literally be 10 seconds. I know we get busy business trips you know, we're working on something, we're working from home, you know, leave me alone. I, you know, I, I'm on a zoom call, like blah, blah, blah. That's all fine. People do that. You snap at your kids. It, it's hard raising kids, but I, what we try to do is, and I'm not the best, but try every day eye contact, get down to their level and even just like 10 or 20 seconds. If you can do an hour, amazing. If you can do two, great. 
but at least 10 seconds, like, Hey, what's up? What did you do today? Mm-hmm. Not, yeah. How was your day? Good. Cool, man. Great job. Great mm-hmm. job. Great job. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Oh, that's your drawing. Cool. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Good drawing. They can tell 10 seconds of real is better than 40 seconds of fake. Yeah. If you just get in there, what did you do? Show me this thing. Oh my God, you're amazing. You did that. Ask a follow-up question. Tell me about it. Wow, that is great. You hear sometimes fake until you make it. So it's like the act that you're engaging in is to take that 10 seconds and look at your kid and be interested in them. But I think for the person who's kind of perpetually the Homer Simpson dad, they're probably also not feeling the things about their kids that will motivate them to kind of naturally take the kind of behavior. So you fake it till you make it. You give them your full attention. Yep. You're present. And I think what you will find is, is that the emotions that you are wanting to have follow. You get down on your kid's level and look, in your, look them in the eyes and your phone's in the other room. You start to feel something. You kind of can't help it. And I found that with my daughter time and time again, that if you can make them the expert and get really interested in something that they care about, yeah. it's not hard to stay interested because what you become interested in is them. Because it is thrilling to watch a kid take you through something they love. That's a good. That's a good first episode. We, we, you know, if if we do publish this one, like, thanks everyone for listening. This has been amazing. Uh, you know, we're just kind of working out the kinks, figuring out, you know, what type of research we bring, you know, what type of structure we have. But uh, you know, Matt, this has been amazing to jam with you on this. Um, I think that we are, you know, at the beginning of something great. And if this is your first time uh, listening to a podcast, or if you don't know what a podcast is, uh, it's basically, it's, it's the radio. It's, it's just the radio, but it's on your phone. <laughs> this episode of Milklist is brought to you by Phyla Archer in the case of the Purple Martin. Thank you. Bye.